my name's David Newman, and um, Pat Hoban and Jay Hoffler and I are splitting up this section of John that we've been studying. I'm excited to uh, to look at a passage that's very familiar. That's uh, it's a hard passage to approach because there's so many approaches to it. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then uh, and then we'll get started. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, um, we come believing that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, Lord. I pray that by your spirit, you would use that word in our lives. Father, we come expecting that, uh, believing that it is more than um, just words on a page or a book. Um, and so, Lord, um, be with us now. Bless our time in your word and our time around the tables. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage that we studied uh, last two weeks under Pat and today and uh, under Jay, um, um, and, and he'll start uh, not next week, but the week after, is uh, part of the Upper Room Discourse. It's the last words of Jesus that he spoke to his disciples before he was crucified. And so, uh, and this is um, what we're about to study happened uh, about nine hours before Jesus was crucified. So keep that in context. the last words that you would share with your disciples have got to be really special and really deep. And so um, see them that way. Uh, Judas has just left to go and betray Jesus to the chief priests. And, um, and Jesus has told his disciples that he's going away and that they can't come after him. So um, they're a little shook right now. Um, so let's, uh, let's look at the passage. We're going to read the first three verses. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So, for those of you who are married, and, and really for, for those that date somebody, I want to ask you, do you have a recurring argument that you have with your wife? Is there a recurring argument? I'm not asking if you argue all the time. That's Go see Pat if that's the issue. But, <laughs> but I'm talking about a subject that you and your wife, you and your girlfriend tend to argue about. I'm talking about things like uh, toilet lids. You know, you know the seat's got to be down. Don't fight that battle. But, but, you know, does the lid have to be down? You know, things like that. Um, so my wife and I had a recurring argument. And this is the way it went. We would go on a walk, 
and we would be talking about the house. And she would say something like, you know, I really, I really, it'd really be fun to get new marble countertops, you know, in our, in our kitchen. And I would go, you know, honey, we really, we can't really do that right now. You know, we can't, we can't afford that right now. This is not a good time. And then she'd go, why do you have to just rain on my parade? Why do you, you know, as soon as I bring something up, why do you, why do you just pour cold water on it, you know? Next time we go walking, she says something similar. I, I say the same thing, and she says, why, why do you have to pour it? And I said, well, I kind of got my nerve up a little bit. I said, you know, if I, if I talk about that, and I, and I talk about how good, I agree with you, I'd love to have those countertops, but I'm afraid that if I say yes to that, if I start talking positively about that, that you're going to count on that, you know? And if you count on that and I don't deliver, you're going to be more upset than if I pour cold water on that now, you know? So that's kind of why. And she says, she says, well, she says, I, I just like to dream, you know? We don't have to do it. I just like to dream. I just like to talk about doing it. And I said, well, so does that mean that if we talk about it and dream about it, that you're not going to count on it? And you're not going to assume that I'm in if, if I go into that dream with you and we talk all about it? And she says, right, we have a deal. We can do that. That's a deal. I said, okay, you're on. <laughs> Never had another problem. I mean, you know, can we do, you know, an you know we should do an addition on the back. Yeah, I agree. That would be cool. How about a hell apart on the, you know, on the, you know whatever, you know? It, and so, um, so there's a show on TV called The Fixer Upper. Now, raise your hand if you've seen that show. Chip and Joanna Gaines. And, you know, if, if any of us are watching it alone, you know, you've you got a little bit of danger of your man card, you know. <laughs> but, but I can, I, I watch it with Leslie and... You know, and, and we dream. It's not dangerous because, you know, we can dream and we can talk about it. And um, Chip and Joanna Gaines are um, this cool couple in Waco, and they, um, they fix up old houses and restore them and fix them up. And, and they, 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 they'll get a couple on, and they'll pick a house, and then they'll go and prepare that place for them. Okay, and it's really cool because what they do is they take a picture of the old house, they put it on a billboard, they split the billboard in half, and after the all the renovations happen, the old house is sitting there uh, covering the new house, and it's split down the middle, and they roll the the two sides of the billboard out, and here's this beautiful new house. And so you know when I think about Jesus going to prepare a place for us. Uh, before I really stated this passage, I kind of thought about the fixer-uppers, you know, that, that Jesus is going before us to prepare a place for us. And, you know, he was a carpenter, so, you know, it all fits. Um, but um, 
as I studied this more, I, I really realized that um, the room that was waiting for us, uh, if you will, uh, before Jesus was about to be crucified, was not a fixer-upper room. Um, let's read, if you will, um, John 3 on, on the back of your handout. John three seventeen and 18 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And so what Jesus is, is saying in, in that passage in John 3 is that if you don't have Jesus, then you are condemned. You are separated from God. You don't have a room that needs fixing up. You are eternally separated from him. And so what Jesus is telling his disciples is he's going to prepare a place, but he's not fixing up a room that doesn't look so good in heaven. He's going to the cross to create a place in heaven for us. He's going to the cross to take the wrath of God that was um, meant for us to take it upon itself, to drink it in, in order that we might have a place in heaven uh, to go in nine hours. Um, let's keep going. Verse 4. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Um, when you first read this, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it seems almost, uh, especially to the world, it seems at best exclusive and at worst intolerant. Um, and if we were to look at um, some of the arguments against Christians and against Christianity, um, people say that, golly, uh, Jesus' people are so intolerant. I'm so glad Jesus wasn't intolerant. Uh, Jesus never claimed to be the only way to God. Well, yes, he did. He, he, he did right here. He said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but through me. Um, he also said um, in, in John 10, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Other places in the New Testament, uh, Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So um, the, the New Testament and Jesus himself is very 
exclusive, very intolerant of any other way. And so the world mocks us and criticizes us, and they say we're intolerant. But let me just make the case that they're intolerant too, um, because what they're intolerant of is our intolerance. Um, they basically have created a way, they've created a religion, and it is a cultural consensus outside of the church, uh, a, a cultural consensus that says always lead to God. It's a new way, right? It's a new way that's exclusive, that says all of these other ways that are claiming exclusivity are wrong, and this way is the way, and it's the way of always lead to God. So that's intolerant. They're intolerant of us and of our view. We're intolerant of them and their view. Um, so we're all kind of in the same boat. But I don't want to look so much at arguments when I look at this passage. Um, I want to look at something deeper than that. Twenty years ago, um, we had gone to visit Pat Hoban in Colorado. He lived in, Col in Evergreen, Colorado at the time. And it was right after Christmas, um, and it was a kind of a crisp, kind of a warm day for Colorado in the summertime, in the wintertime. Um, and about four families and all of our kids decided to go for a walk together. And there was a walking trail at a park nearby, and we all set out with our kids on this walking trail. And the kids, as they'll do, got ahead of us and uh, began to get out of sight. And so we called to them and said, hey, y'all, come back. So everybody came back, and we were walking, and I noticed that my youngest son, John David, uh, who was six years old at the time, was not in the group. And so, um, you know, I, I said, hey, John David's not here. And so um, we told the kids to stay there, and the adults divided up, and we, and we went hard after John David to find him. Well, we realized right away that the, the, that the pathways in this park were dividing, and one going this way, one going that way, one going that way, and no sign of John David. So we divided up, and adults went in different directions. And, um, and I realized soon that it wasn't just a park, but it was walking trails, and it was a small mountain. And um, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I, I was going around the side of the mountain, and you can hear, John David, John David. You can hear the echo. Everybody's looking for him. And that went on for about an hour. And um, one of the ladies in the group called uh, Search and Rescue, Jefferson County Search and Rescue, to come. It's starting to get dusk, and, um, and I'm not finding him. We don't have, it's not before cell phones 20 years ago. And so um, I'm, I'm going around the side of this mountain, and um, 
and there's no sign of him. I'm hearing the echo. Nobody's finding him. Pretty soon, um, it's night. It's, it's dark, completely dark. And I've gone all the way around the mountain. I don't know what's happened. And I go down to the highway. There's a highway not too far. I hike down to the highway, and I stop a car. And I said, hey, um, will you take me up to the start of the walking trail up here? My son is lost on this mountain, and I need to, to go see. And, and, and they said, well, I, I heard they found that boy. And uh, so I, they took me, in there, and, and as we drove up, there was, a, uh, there was a police car with the sirens on, and I looked inside, and Leslie, my wife, had John David in her arms. She was crying, and he was fine. And, um, and I found out what had happened. He had, um, he had gone on that trail. He had run up the mountain, and um, he was really almost right at the top of the mountain. And Pat Hoban had gone up that trail that he was on looking for him. And um, he had gone so high, he and Leslie were together, and I think Leslie had peeled back. She said, there's no way he's this high. But Pat kept going, and um, there at the top of that mountain, he said, he, he called out John David's name as he'd been doing all afternoon. And he heard a voice, an adult voice that said, over here. And so he followed that voice, and there was nobody there. Um, and he followed it for a while, and then he turned around and started to come back, and he heard another voice. He said, over here. It's an adult voice. He followed that voice for a little while, and all of a sudden, there's John David. There's nobody around. There's no adults around. There's nobody at the top of that mountain. And I believe to this day that that was an angel that delivered him. There was a, a team praying in Dallas uh, that we would find him. The word got out quickly. And Pat brought John David down to that police car, and there I saw him. And, and um, when I saw him, he had a teddy bear that, Jefferson County uh, Search and Rescue gives kids who are in trauma. They give them a little teddy bear to comfort them. Um, but I want to tell you that, um, that John David didn't need the teddy bear. Leslie and I needed the teddy bear. We, <laughs> we were the ones in trauma. And I, and I say that not to be funny, but I say it, John David was not in trauma. John David thought that he was following his brother up the trail. And he thought his parents were right behind him the whole time. He, th he thought his brother was, was right ahead of him. And, um, and so he was never scared. Uh, he was never in trauma. He didn't need that teddy bear. Um, but the fact of the matter is that... Um, John David had no trauma because he was living under an alternative reality. Um, he didn't believe he needed to be saved, 
And he didn't know he was lost on a mountain. He had no idea he was lost on a mountain. Um, And so I just make the point that the world is living under an, an alternative reality. They are lost and they don't know that they need saving. And Jesus has burst into that world and he's telling them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You are lost. You are lost without me. And I have come after you to save you. Um, The world is living under an alternative reality, which is not a reality at all. It's a lie. Um, And it's almost exclusively in every case, if you whittle it down, it's a system of righteousness. or a law, whether they believe in God or not, it's a law, it's a system of righteousness whereby um, if I live uh, my life horizontally at a certain level, God will bless me, God will receive me, I'll, I'll go to heaven. And, um, and so I'm justified and I'm saved by my works. And so you can look at every major religion and every minor religion, and it's basically based on that system. So we can't be surprised when the world thinks that that Christians are intolerant, that Jesus is intolerant, that Jesus is exclusive, because the world is living under an alternative reality. It's not a reality at all. It's a lie. Um, And they... um, they are looking horizontally. They're comparing themselves with themselves and with others, and they're not looking vertically. They're not, they don't understand the holiness of God and all the implications that that brings. Um, I want to look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 7, and look at what happened to, King, to, to Isaiah when he was commissioned. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin is atoned for. Brothers, there will be a day when a scene like this happens. When the glory and the holiness of God and of His Son Jesus Christ is revealed to a world that is living under an alternative reality. And they won't argue about their righteousness anymore. They will 
confessed with his Isaiah that I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the Lord. And every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But to those who had not confessed him, to those who had not trusted him, it will be too late. The, 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 the angel that comes with the tongs and cleans Isaiah's lips won't be available. Um, and so um, we live in a world, today you will go to work with a world that is living under an alternative reality that is not a reality at all. It is a lie. And they, just like John David, feel safe. They feel secure. They don't, need, they don't feel they need to be saved. They're not lost. They're fine. It's their alternative reality. Um, and sometimes we can slip into that alternative reality as we look upon them and as we think about them and as we interact with them. But there will be a day when um, that alternative reality will be shown to be what it is, a lie. Let's finish uh, 7 through 14. If you had known me, this Jesus again, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So Philip is asking Jesus, to show him the Father. Please just show me the Father. You know, kind of like Moses, like a burning bush. Show me the Father. Uh, like Elijah, you know, on the mountain when, the, when God goes by and he's in the cleft of the rock. Show me the Father. Like Abraham, you know, when Abraham talked to, to, to God and God talked back to him. Show me, the, give me a sign. Give me a sign. And Jesus just, Jesus says, Philip, have I been... I've been with you for three years. Don't you realize that I'm God incarnate? Can, can you imagine what Philip said? For three years I've been walking with God in the flesh, and I didn't recognize him. Boom, boom. What, a, what an incredible revelation. Um. So that's my first reaction as I read this passage is, boom, oh my God, are you kidding me? This is God in the flesh? That was the whole plan 
all along. And you mean this is bigger than Moses and this is bigger than Abraham and this is bigger than Elijah? You mean God came in human flesh and He chose me to be one of His disciples and I've walked with Him for, 12, for three years and, and I didn't even recognize Him to be who He was? And um, so my second reaction after boom, my second reaction is, Philip, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? I mean, what were you thinking when you were walking with them all that time? Um, you know, if we were to time travel and pull Philip out of this scene and we were to sit him down right here and we were to talk to him, and um, we were to, you know, read passages, and I won't read them just because of time, but, um, you know, I'll read one. In the beginning, Philip, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, not anything that was made was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Philip, Jesus is God incarnate. He is the Word. He is, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He came to earth, Philip. And, um, and if I was to go on a little bit further, I'd say, Philip, you don't know this, but in nine hours, Jesus is going to be crucified, and He is he is preparing a place for you, and He prepared a place for us, these guys that are here with you in this room. And, and, um, and, and He died a death um, that we could, could live a life with Him. And, uh, and I might go on and I might say, Philip, um, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to die, but He's going to raise again. And... Um, and then um, what's going to happen after that is an incredible thing because he's going to go to be with the Father just like he just told you. He's going to go to be with the Father. And then um, and when he goes to be with the Father, he's not going to leave us alone. Um, he's going to send his Spirit. And Philip, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus is going to actually not just dwell and walk with men like he's walked with you, for three years, but he's going to actually inhabit and tabernacle in the hearts of men that know and trust him. His spirit is going to become one with their spirit. And so Philip, sitting in that chair, would look out and he would say, you mean these men that I've time-traveled to see, you mean they have the spirit of God? Living and dwelling in the Spirit of God is one with their spirit? I'd say, yeah, that's what I mean. And he'd say, well, do they sin? And I'd say, well, yeah, I mean, you know, they're not that, not altogether that different, you know. And he'd go, but you mean the Spirit of God dwells and lives and has become one with their spirit? I mean, can I meet him? Can I talk to him? Can I, can I get to know him? And all of a sudden, the chairs turn, and we're in the chair. And Philip's marveling at us, saying, You mean you've had the Spirit of God living in your heart 
forever how many years you've had the Spirit of God living in your heart. And, um, and I say that not to shame us. Um, and I make the point not to shame us. But to say that there's so much more, guys, um, that we could be receiving from God. There's so much more when you think about the fact that the Spirit of God actually dwells in your spirit, in your heart. His Spirit has become one with your spirit, and you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to develop this a little bit more. Uh, Got three questions around your table. Let's pray, and then uh, let's meet. Father, we thank you for... um, coming, that you came after us, Lord. You saw the room that was prepared for us, the room of um, eternal separation from you, and you, Lord Jesus, came and prepared a place for us on the cross, Lord. You prepared that place. Thank you, Lord, for that place um, that is promised to us, not because of our own righteousness, but because of yours. Pray, Father, that we could glory in that today, that whatever it is we're concerned about or worried about at our workplaces or in our families or whatever, that we would rise above that and understand that this reality, Lord, is um, the truest and most real reality in our lives this morning. Pray, Lord, that we would not fall prey to an alternative reality that the world uh, seeks to squeeze us into, Lord, but that we would understand Um, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We would understand that there are those who are lost without you. There are those who need to be saved, that don't even know they need to be saved, Lord. Uh, Fill us with your spirit that we might um, be your instruments and bless our conversation around our tables. In Jesus' name, amen.